0: Exodus, Chapter Five. Thank you, ladies. During the first message of the series, in which we are now traveling, a series entitled "A Slave Nation," I preached the first message on that on October eighth. In that message, we were introduced to the mindset of slavery. We found out that the very bitter and real bondage that the Israelites found themselves in with the Egyptians was not nearly as condemning as the fact that they actually became bound in their minds. They took on the mindset of slavery. And that had far-reaching implications because even when they were physically and geographically free, they were never free. And that bondage and that slave thinking held them bound even when Pharaoh's army could no longer pursue them. Four key statements I gave you during that message were these. Number one, God does not want His people to be slaves. Number two, a free man can be forced into bondage, but he never can be truly made a slave while freedom still lives in his mind and soul. Thirdly, I said to you, slaves and free men do not think alike. Fourthly, the difference... Between a free man and a slave is one word. <clears throat> that word is truth. The second message in the series was entitled, The Identity of Slavery. We preached that last Sunday. It showed biblically that God brought a nation out of a nation to separate a people specifically unto and for Himself. Start dealing with the identity of this. <clears throat> Tonight... Uh, we're going to learn about something as I gave you a little foretaste of this morning I told you that we would. May well be one of the most vexing aspects of our fallen nature. And it's one that we who've been under the slavery of sin demonstrate way too often in our life. That's namely this. It's our tendency to fight against our own deliverance. Um, By so doing, we fight ourselves. I believe that this is in part what is meant by the term contradiction of sinners, which is spoken of in Hebrews 12, 3, which reads this, for for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. So with the background, what we're going into and with what was just read to you clearly and and uh, I believe with good emphasis on Exodus 5, uh, I going to speak to you on a slave nation, resistance to deliverance. As I mentioned to you this morning, not resistance by Pharaoh or his armies, but resistance by those who were being delivered. Um, it is a sad truth that... People often fight against the very thing which will deliver them. In the area of counseling people and trying to help them with different aspects of their life, this is so common as to be stereotypical. I remember a cousin of mine I was talking to, we were talking about various things, and I made the statement, I said, most people who ask for counsel don't want it. And he said to me, he said, oh, that that seems a little harsh. He said, I I don't think I agree with that. I said, you also haven't counseled people. Why? People fight against the deliverance. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to be careful not to uh, sidetrack myself on this, but I, I need to explain a little what I'm talking about. Someone goes to someone who knows something about finances and wants some help from them. And they say, it's not working. I'm having trouble with my finances. I can't seem, doesn't matter how much money I make. I seem to always be behind. And, you know, I thought I got a raise. Things were going to be better, but they're not better. And then I got another raise. I thought things were going to be better, and they're not better. And then I did something real real smart. I refinanced everything onto my house and paid off my car by putting it on a loan on my house. So it's paid off by putting in another loan. And uh, then I did all these things and I just keep getting further behind. And they start saying silly things like, well, some people are just born to understand money and some people just have it and some don't. And uh, so they'll talk to somebody and uh, when it's brought up to them, okay, let's find out what's going on. Uh, first of all, we're going to need to know what all your expenses are. We're going to need to know what your income is. They start gathering together and say, well, I have a budget. I know what all my expenses are. Then it gets pointed out to them, knowing what all your expenses are is not a budget. One of the most fatal things you can do economically is think it is. May I say to you, our government knows where they spent the money most of the time. If you think they're operating on anything that resembles honesty, integrity, morality, or a budget... You're nuts. And I would tell people or anybody who would work with finances would say, no, what you have is a tracking system. That's awesome if you have that because that's a good place to start. That's a whole lot better than starting with, I have no idea, which I've seen a lot of too. Um, and he say, okay, here we are. It's a tracking system. Here's what's going on. Let's get a budget. What you're going to do is sit down and figure out how much you're spending on stuff. Then they'll come back in with the budget and then it's... Uh, you look it over quickly, and it's like, "Hmm, um, there's no food mentioned here." <laughs> well, I don't know. Are you going to eat? There's no clothes in this budget. Uh, what's? The, <laughs> I don't know if I want to know your plan on that. <laughs> you know, do you think you're a Jew in the wilderness? Do you think they're going to wear indefinitely or, know. Uh, no. You're going to buy clothes if you need them. Yes. Okay, then it needs to be in here. Well, I don't have money for all that. Oh, okay, then. Then we have the revelation that's come from trying to organize. So there's one of two things that can happen lower your output, increase your income. By the way, playing the lottery and hoping for the best is not a good third in that equation. But you are, you say, here we are, and they get angry. But you just don't understand. Well, that's unrealistic. It's just crazy. Somebody comes and they want to get their health in a better situation. They go to talk to somebody and they say, I want to lose weight and uh, want to do this. And the person starts saying, well, here's what I need to do. And uh, here's some options. No, 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 that won't work for me. You don't know my schedule, my work, blah, 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 whatever it is. That won't work for me. i have trouble getting organized. Time management is not working. Can't keep up with my house. As if there are evil little gremlins. I'm not talking about your children. Um, that somehow keep you from actually keeping things together. And someone who's good at that says, well, do this. No, that won't work for me. No, that won't work for me. No, no, I tried that. That won't... And why I start this part of the message is by saying I'm reminding myself not to go sidetrack. I also remind myself not to go in the flesh because when you deal with that enough, long enough, you realize how annoying it is to watch people who say they want help but will not take any steps to get there. Resistance to deliverance. Because almost all the time, it's what they actually want is a quick answer fix, or even, (laughs) I may be doubted on this one, or maybe even they really don't want to fix it. They just want somebody else to pat them on the back and tell them how tough they have it. We are very twisted when it comes to this stuff. And often, what comes to us as far as what we need to do to actually go forward in life, we want to we buck against it. We want to argue against it. We want to say, uh, no, I can't do it for whatever reason. I can multiply illustrations of it and never have to touch on anything within our own congregation. But... Suffice it to say, I think that we, everybody here that's old enough to have experienced much, has seen this and maybe even recognizes it within yourself. Major reason, major reason why the Israelites showed resistance to deliverance. Not looking, seeing this in Exodus 5, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Why, why did they fight? You understand they fussed about being delivered. They fussed after they were delivered. They fussed in, in, in the trip to the promised land. They fussed and wouldn't go in at the promised land. They fussed during the 40 years, and they fussed after they got in the promised land. Any person that would have just volunteered for Moses' job, <laughs> why? The yeah, it was given to him and, Of course, he counted a privilege to serve God, but how wearing it was on him. But their identity is the reason why. Last week dealt with the identity of slavery, but they had derived their identity from their slavery. I want you to listen carefully to this because there's a truth in this that uh, is just uh, vital for people actually getting out of slavery in their hearts and minds. Let me show you why I say that they identified with this slavery. Look in... uh, Exodus 5, there's a phrase that's used three times in two verses, in verse 15, verse 16. Pick up on this phrase, look how they address themselves to Pharaoh. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto whom? Thy servants. And they say to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is in thine own people. Three times, the rulers of Israel said, Thy servant, thy servant, thy servant. They, over the course of those four centuries, had developed an ingrained thinking that they were servants to Pharaoh and that's how it was supposed to be. And do you understand that ingrained thinking took place with virtually every Jewish person that grew up knowing about the promise that had been given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Knowing that there was a land That was there, a physical place that belonged to them, that they had the sure promise of God that they would occupy, that they were to be God's people, and yet they identified themselves as Pharaoh's servant. Let me let you hear what it sounds like in the American tongue. Well, you know, that's just how it is. Everybody's, we tack on whatever it is, everybody's in debt everybody's health's bad, everybody, whatever negative and bad you want to put on it, well, you know, that's just the way it is. That's about time that God's people don't know that. And don't accept it. Because it is not what God wants for God's people. I've read to you in two different messages the first four statements I made in the first message. There's a reason why I've done that. I'm not going to do that throughout the series. But they are thesis statements based on the Word of God. One of which is God doesn't want His people to be slaves. But they were in bondage because they identified as slaves. This is just what we are. You know? This is just the way it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. Some people engage in sinful behavior because of that type of thinking. Uh, You know, my family's always had name fill in the blank. Some people engage in destructive and I don't want to fine-tune argument there. It's not my purpose. But destructive, even if not blatantly sinful behavior to themselves, to others, because of that type of thinking. Yeah, just the way it is. My grandpa this way he was. He didn't talk. Didn't tell anybody that he loved him. My dad never told anybody they loved him. And you can't hold can't, can't me be responsible because my marriage has problems because I won't tell my wife I love her. You ought to just know it. I work hard. I, yeah. You've been in Egypt a long time. And you're getting your identity from your slavery. I noticed a phenomenon early on in pastoring. It took me a couple, three years to pick up on it. And I'm like, seriously, is this what I think I'm seeing? And now at 31 years of pastoring, I have no reason to recant of this observation. It's amazing how too frequently you run to people who have become, they, they've, they've begun to get their identity from whatever their stronghold is from whatever their battle is. In fact, one of the poison things of much of the modern Christian music, and there's good music still being written now, but of, of the different type that has shifted, one of the great problems of it is that it has a slave mindset of this is what I always am. It takes its identity from victimhood. And it centers on me, not on the Lord. Me, me, here's where I am. And it's this continual, always a slave, instead of finally just getting on with it and living. And what happens is, literally, there are people who, if they find a way that they can get well, they don't want to take it because they get attention because they're not. If you ever want to see someone go from, from seemingly sad to ferocious in about a heartbeat, and I use the word ferocious on purpose, point that out in however kind of tone you want in a one-on-one counseling session. And who knows? There are lots of ways to kick landmines when you're dealing with people. That's one of them. Why? Because that is how they've learned to get attention. That's who their identity is. And part of the slavery of it is the the fear that freedom brings. Because you're going to have to grow up and be something different for the Lord. You're going to have to come into adulthood and shoulder some responsibility. No longer it's just the church you attend and I hope we do okay at the church, but it's my church and I'm responsible for making this place go. If things are slack, I'm picking up the difference. If things aren't going well, I'm doing something about it. Not just show up and hope things go well. Some Christians just need weaned. I'll show you another way you know that they drew uh, uh, their identity. This one blew my mind. I studied it out. Look in verse 21 of Exodus 5. Now, they are angry at Aaron and Moses. And uh, verse 21, they being the leaders of Israel, are angry, angry at Aaron and Moses, really angry at them. Verse 21, and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge. And that's a strong statement they're making. They're asking God to, to judge or condemn Aaron and Moses for coming with this message that the Jews were to be delivered. Because you have made, look at the next phrase, our savor. That word isn't savior, it's savor. Our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh. Caught my attention. It's never caught my attention before. I'm like, whoa. That word savor is a, is a smell or something that comes up, it has to do with offerings in the about 45 times that word is used in the Old Testament, all but two others that I could find, all but two other times, it has to do with a savor unto the Lord, and it's the idea of the smoke coming up from the the offering, whether it be a burnt offering or whether it be incense offering or whatever. In fact, the most common combination of word for it is a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. This is a word that is associated with who you are trying to please as your God. The other two times it's used in the Old Testament where it doesn't match that towards God is one time the term sweet-smelling savor is used, but it's to an idol. And the, the... Children of Israel being rebuked for offering sacrifice to idols. That's one. The other time is interesting because it is a stinking savor. Something that doesn't smell good. You don't often get that combination. But it comes, a verse may be familiar once I start it. The flies in the ointment of the apothecary cause it to send forth a stinking savor. And what it's talking about? Little things getting in and corrupting something that's supposed to be good. It's ointment from an apothecary, like you buy something from a pharmacy, some kind of ointment that's supposed to help you, and there are dead flies in it. Okay, how many of you would not be thrilled about that? Okay, uh, that, that's it. Um, and so that's the other time. But almost every time this is used, and then you go over to the New Testament, where obviously a different root word, because you're going into Greek and say Hebrew, but the but the English word "savor" is used. It is used almost exclusively for Christ being a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord and the sacrifice of Christ and these things. So when these Jews made this statement, they said to Pharaoh three times, your servant, are your servants, you're your servants. And then they turned around to Moses and Aaron and said, you made our savor, you made our sacrifice to Pharaoh not be good. They almost said by that statement, you caused us trouble with our God. It has that flavor to it. I don't think it'd be right to take it to that exact extreme, but it's, <laughs> they, were, they were borderline close to it. So where would they get that idea? They've been in Egypt 400 years. Guess what was one of the major things worshipped in Egypt? Became, over the years, Pharaoh. And their identity, they derive their identity from their enslavement. Do you know how much of that there is in our society? From people marking all over their bodies, multiple piercings, all the things that used to be associated and are still related to, witchcraft and demonism. People running around with grungy, cut up clothes. Filth! And it's not a fashion. It's not a fad. It's not someone's personal taste in something. It is associated with things that are not decently, that are not orderly, that show degradation, that show corruptness, that show. it, It mocks the person who partakes of it, it degrades them. And that is not what God wants. So much so, when God describes His church as a bride, He talks about her being unspotted. Talks about her being clean. The Bible talks about we are supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. What is that? Not picking up the identity of what's around us. From language, to music, to mindset, to financial dealings, driving identity from slavery. This present world will one day be consumed in flame. The passions and lust of this world lead to death and lead to bondage. And God does not want His people in the thraldom of this type of bondage. be interesting if you would have clarity of heart and mind and ask yourself the question where do I get my identity what are you trying to match Where, where are you identifying with where are you getting hey this this is what I identify with this is where I get my identity they identified with slavery. (laughs) Tell you the precious song, simple song, thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. That's not a proud declaration of, look what I've done, that just says, that's not the only option for me. Choose something different. Choose something different. Tendency to resist, reject, or even fight against what can help us is very wearing on those who tried to minister to or help enslaved people become free. Look in Exodus 5. You've got to have a heart for Brother Moses and Aaron in this verse. Let's begin in verse 20. So, of course, Pharaoh's rejected letting the Israelites go. And then he says, Obviously, you got too much time on your hands. And so they're making brick and straws an integral component of the way they did things. And he says, We're not going to bring you any straw. That word tail, T A L E, that's the amount of brick. He says, Here's the deal you get no straw brought to you. Apparently, the Egyptians supplied him with the straw. But you have to keep up your production without getting the supplies to make your production. So this workload is just massively increased. And when, as might be expected, they can't keep up with it, the leaders, the, groups, the men who were over the groups of Israelites are brought in to the taskmasters of the Egyptians and are physically beaten for not getting the job done. I don't imagine by any means, I'm the only person in here who's ever had a job where I was expected to get a certain amount of work done and get certain things accomplished in moving materials, loading trucks, uh, taking care of warehouse, and the owner of the company would not provide the basic necessary equipment to get that done in the circumstances that we were dealing with. Example, we're running hard tire forklifts. Propane powered hard tire forklifts like you use in a warehouse in an outside setting in Chicago in the winter. There's nothing about that that is conducive to actually getting the job done. Outside lighting. We wouldn't spend the money for outside lighting. and We're trying to handle and sort materials which vary by shades of color. We'd not spend money to fill in potholes in the areas where we were running, especially in the new areas. Have you ever been going almost full speed on one of those type of forklifts some of you have? Forklift and hit a large pothole? After that happens, a chiropractor can't even number your vertebrae because they rearrange. And whatever you're carrying on that forklift, you just scatter you ever had the owner look at you when you're working eight hours over every week at least eight hours over your salary time look at you and say I don't know how much you're working but it's not enough that's joyful I'm telling you I know what it's like to be in Egypt but <laughs> I was laughing thinking where, where I worked but here's the thing about it You know how frustrating that is? Well, now think about these people. You've had your job, you've had things that were expected of you, and you're going, How in the world am I supposed to do that? You're expecting this, and I don't have the wherewithal to get this done. You know, I can't create things and just make it happen. You ever been there? How many of you have encountered something like that at work? Yeah? I mean, we get up here and testify, and you can, (laughs) we can turn this into a group session, and we can all feel better. So can you imagine how bewildering, frustrating, and aggravating it was? Not only is this happening, but this is actually not just endangering their job, but they're being beaten for it. It's not like they can go find another job. Endangering their families everything else. They are upset. Because things just got uncomfortable. Let me, let me, let me tell you a little, little uh, not really secret, but a little thing overlooked sometimes when it comes to deliverance by God. A lot of times it gets worse before it gets better. That person you pray for and you witness for, witness to, sometimes they get downright grouchy before they get right. Sometimes there's a lot of static before the channel comes in clear. I mean, I have no idea what that means. Um, I'm talking tubes, and you're thinking, whatever. Um, and so, verse twenty, they they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. So these leaders of the Israelites are coming out from Pharaoh, where they have just had a meeting saying, hey, we're getting beaten, but your folks are not giving us everything we've always had to work with. And Pharaoh's like, you're idle, you're idle. That's his answer to him. You can almost imagine the dismissive way. You're just like, you got too much time on your hands. Go back and nothing's going to change. And... Uh, Verse 21, And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you, this is Moses and Aaron they're talking to, and judge, because you've made our savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and the eyes of his servants put a sword in their hand to slay us. Hey Moses, thanks. Appreciate you coming down here and causing trouble. Everybody was getting along okay until you showed up. I'll just talk about deliverance. I if I look at me once in the matter of finances and they said, I don't want to do this. I said, well, it's your finance, your choice. They said, but I don't want to. I want to spend what I want to spend. Dive, dive, dive. I mean, they're gone. Financially, it's like, if you're Intent on that kind of stupid. Let me get out of your way and let it happen. Verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord. <laughs> now remember my point here is it's rough on the people trying to actually teach or deliver. Lord, <laughs> wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? He says, God, what's going on? Do you understand Moses was reluctant to go anyway? Isn't that a mild word for what happened? So then God says, I'll give you this miracle, I'll give you this miracle, I'll give you this miracle. And you're going to go down and you're going to look at Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my people go. So he goes. Then he gets down there and the miracles he does, Egyptian, devil-possessed Egyptian magicians pull off a counterfeit of it. Same thing. But it looks the same. And then... You know, here he has just face down Moses, or faced down Pharaoh, let my people go. Next thing that, you know, Pharaoh's going to say, I'm going to get right, there's going to be the straight deliverance. Instead, Pharaoh says, Here's the Lord, I'm not going to serve him. By the way, take away their straw. And if they don't keep up with what they're doing, beat them. And now the Israelites, they're supposed to follow Moses. Why are you doing this to us? Very confusing time for Moses. <laughs> He goes back to God and he's, he's new on the job, Moses is. And he says, God, what's going on? God, I, I'm witnessing to that person. I love it. It seems like the more I talk to them, the further away they are. God, I'm preaching to people and it seems like they seem more... Bent on going the wrong direction, the more truth you give. Preach to them about coming the right direction, and they find a new way going the other direction. Got them teaching a class, and it seems like they're taking everything, just chucking it out the window as fast as they go. God, what's going on? What's going on? And then I love it. Verse 23 For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. I love the next line in chapter 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see. <laughs> he goes on, What I'll do to Pharaoh. Talks about how he'll bring the people out. By I like, he says, Moses is bewildered. God, I don't know what you're doing. And God says, Now you're going to get to see. We'll let you see it. It is very interesting to me along this line about it being wearing. Moses is confused about the mounting conflict before the deliverance begins. And by the way, put this little phrase in your mind because you're going to see it again in another passage I'm going to show you in the New Testament. The initial seeming ineffectiveness of the message. The initial seeming ineffectiveness of the message. It doesn't seem like it's doing anything at first. Remember, do you remember how Moses' ministry ends? Everybody tell me, how did his ministry end, his personal ministry, how did? What, what was it that ended? What was it? Remember? Everybody remember? Y'all go to church? Been in Sunday school? What's the last what's the last thing it was the last thing that happened in Moses' ministry? He wasn't allowed to keep leading the people after that. What did he do? Anger. anger. He became angry and struck the rock. Okay, there we go. And uh, the uh, he became angry and struck the rock. What did he do? He had an outburst of anger. Say so you now he was very angry at the children of Israel. I would not disagree with that but primarily his anger seems to be directed to God. Because his statement was, must I fetch water? Interesting. And in that angry outburst, he's not allowed then to take them into the promised land. How did he get to that point? What was it that brought a man... Who God said, not another person, but God said, was the meekest man on on all the earth. That meekness is humility and strength combined. Those two are a good combination. How did the meekest man get to the point of, must I fetch you water out of the rock, you rebels? Boom! Hit the rock. How do you get there? It's summarized in Psalm 106, 32 and 33. Listen carefully to these words. In recounting what happened, the Scripture says, they angered him also at the waters of strife. Put that word in your mind too. So that it went ill with Moses for their sakes because they provoked his spirit and he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Isn't it almost a chilling thing to know how much damage we can do in a moment of snapping? Isn't it a sobering thing to know how much we could forfeit in just a moment of anger controlling us? Well... The resistance to deliverance, you deal with anybody, whether you're dealing on a group of people, whether you're dealing with individuals, where you're trying to help someone, you have somebody come to you that's wanting to... to it seems like they, they say, hey, I want to do this or do that. And, and and you try to help as best you can. And you start running into this thing where they're identifying with their slavery, where they, they will resist you in every side, And it's always this little... Uh, I don't know quite what word to put on it, so I won't put. Um, it's, 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 it's a spirit attitude. Oh, well, you can't. You cannot even get through a partial explanation of a viable option for them to go forward before they are making excuses why it's not valid. They will always have one more excuse for why they can't do this to get things straightened out more than you can give a reason how they can go forward. You know why? Because their securities in slavery. You say, oh, preacher, that would never happen. you can kidding. This happened all the way through history. Happened in the history of our nation. Why? Because there's a fear of freedom. Because you've got to make decisions and you've got to be in a world you've not been in before. I say to you that God gives the strength, understanding, and security where you can start going forward. One thing about fear, once you punch it in the nose once, it's a lot easier to whoop. It tends to diminish. That big monster that seems like it's going to get you tends to diminish once you step towards it. You know, I love the fact, you know, when David fought Goliath, you know, David ran towards Goliath. You say, well, tactically, that might have been a good move. You're right. Kind of caught him off guard for sure. But do you know what else it did? I can't tell you for sure this is motive, but I can tell you what else it did. (laughs) He was committed at that point. You say, well, David's eyes were on the Lord. Yes, but you know, that was the eye of faith. You know he actually couldn't see the Lord. You know that 10 foot tall guy probably got bigger the closer you got to him. And when you got down in that valley of Eli, and it's just this huge animal looking man who's his whole life been killing people and it's you and your whole army standing back there going, uh-uh, you might want to move before you chicken out. You might want to move while your faith is still strong. Strangest thing happens. You start moving towards it. Well, that's not quite as bad as I thought it would be. You go over to the New Testament and find this weariness wearing folks down. Look in Second Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. I can't find 2 Corinthians. There it is. <laughs> kind of amazing stuff. Um, and let me see. I'll just show you one verse here with this. Look in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. The apostle was led to write to the church at Corinth. He said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. This is not a pouting statement. It's the Word of God. This is a reality that he had learned that he had to deal with. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. People resist deliverance show you it even strongly, more emphatically perhaps in Galatians 4. And here you have a church that was absolutely in love with and devoted to the apostle and all he was preaching. And they were affected by some people. Some people came along and started sowing seeds of doubt. Seeds and the side talking, the apostles. Paul kept preaching truth to him and confronting the error he saw. And something happened. Look in verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. He says, That's that's how you felt. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, hmm. it'll wear you, and uh, you've got to do it for the Lord. If you don't do it for the Lord, your ministry will consume you at some point. And I'm not saying you'll get so carried away with it. I'm saying it'll it'll wear you down so much. How do we respond properly to the pressures of? Delivering a message of deliverance as well as to overcome the actual resistance of deliverance in ourselves. How do we overcome that? The, the, The pressure of delivering a message of deliverance that is not wanted by those it's going to sometimes. And how do we fight against that resistance to deliverance ourselves? I, let me let me let me use a self illustration of of in in a mild way of 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 being silly about this stuff. I have uh, my feet are my feet bones are not exactly the way they're supposed to be. Well, I guess well they're the way they are, but they're not the way a normal foot would be. So I'll let you figure out all the, the philosophy of the foot. Other than that, and I have hammer toe. I mean, you know what hammer toes are. You know, they're, they're, they're like this here. My mom used to say, and by the way, some of you will think this is cruel, but it's our family's way we do things. It probably is cruel, but we like it. Um, she used to say, honey, I think you could perch on a limb. Toes do that. I've got the full set, Brother Brian. I have hammer toes with nails with them. i got the hammer and nail in one place. Every now and then, I did this morning. I had somebody look at me funny like, what's happened to the preacher? I turned and I just tipped to the left. I so said, glad to see you in church this morning. Madam, um, <laughs> I'm charismatic. I can claim being slain in the spirit, and I. It's, why? Because my foot rolled when I stepped. Well, I've had a pair of dress shoes I've needed to replace for a long time. So why haven't you? Well, there is a little problem. I have to find a certain type of shoe. I can't. I can't order anything online. How many of you have ever ordered, ordered shoes online? Let me say, I can't. It just absolutely can't. If I found the exact shoe that I'm wearing and could find it, then I could. But other than that, no. Because of aforementioned problem. Well, you say, well, part of it's it's finding dress shoes that are built sturdily enough where my foot won't roll over off of my uh, my, my, uh, good feet things I have because when those stay in place, everything works good. But the other problem is, I hate shopping like that. And I promise you, For weeks, I I had to go to Columbus or something. There's a couple places I knew I might likely be able to find shoes. Brother Jim, I just drove past and take the exit. You know why? Two things. I don't like shopping like that. I hate trying on things. Can I get witness to anybody else like that? Absolutely. Several ladies. There's hope for this country. Um, The other thing is, well, I I didn't stop... I, I, I hate trying on shoes. I didn't, want, I didn't want to do it. The other thing is, it just, I just bothers me. I didn't want to take time to do it. I went and did it this last week, combined it with something else. So, why'd you finally do it? I had let the shoes I was wearing get so soft on the side. It wasn't the poor preacher couldn't afford shoes. I like could afford shoes. I was just being goofy. Not goofy. I was being stubborn. Okay, I was a slave and I loved it. My name's Pastor. I, anyway, <laughs> uh, <coughs> the, the leather had gotten so soft it was allowing my foot to roll off, and I stepped. Brother Keith, this may give you a twinge with your history of these things. I stepped and felt something in the center of my foot, yeah. And I brought my weight off of it, and I said to myself, You're going to wait until you break your foot, aren't you? And I'm like, No. And so I admonished myself and I went and got some shoes. They preach that's silly, isn't it? Wait till I get to the point where it's actually hurting. I'm walking on. It's like, this. why are you doing it? I just kept polishing the old ones up as if polishing them more to make them take care of my foot better. Yeah? At least I look good when I break. Um, now I'll tell you, <laughs> that same tendency can run amuck in our heart in a hurry. We'd rather avoid what it takes to actually live in the fullness of God. Isn't that even strange? I think how resistant I was to the gospel. Resistant to the fact that God loved me. Resistant to the fact He would open open His word, that He would give me a different way of living. that he would guarantee by his presence that I did not have to make any decisions that any of my family in front of me made. And I was resistant towards that, that I could have peace, opportunity in life. I fought it. Oh, there's a, there's a foolish contradiction in ourselves, isn't there? 2 Timothy 2 is a passage which has become familiar to the church over the last few months, and I'll not be lengthy with it, but I want to show you how... Do we keep going with the wearing that happens as we enter into a work? By the way, where we get to fellowship with Christ it's part of taking His yoke upon you, learning of Him, is learning what that is, that weariness, that weight that comes with that type of work. But also, how to avoid that tendency in ourself that is just so foolish. Verse 24 of 2 Timothy 2. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach. It's the next word after teach? Patient. Remember that thing I said to you about the initial seeming ineffectiveness of the message? That's what Moses said, God, why did you send me? Because since you sent me, you've not delivered And since you sent me, they're not listening. Vital component. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Be patient. You have to teach patient. What does that mean? You've got to allow the teaching to take its work. You have to realize that if someone continually resists the word of God, there's no philosophy. There's no certain ordering of words. There's no eloquence. An elocution of language that you can muster or I can muster that is going to do what God's Word is not doing in them. In God's work, there's been many a pastor who's jumped into the realm of philosophy for his church, a sort of a hybrid psychology approach to things because he's trying to fix something that he's not seen come to fruition just through the plain, clear teaching of the Word of God. But even like Abraham said to the rich man, when the rich man said, send someone back from the grave, someone back from the dead, to my brothers and they'll hear him. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets If they will not hear them. They will not hear the one raised from the dead. There is no more powerful persuasion or argument than the Word of God itself. So be patient, my friend. Let the Word of God take its work. Must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. There it is, written out for us. What is it? We oppose ourselves. Why? Or rather, what does God have to offer in that? If God venture, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Once they acknowledge truth, once you and I acknowledge truth, then, then comes that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil or taken captive by him at his own will. What ends up happening is this. He says, I want you to understand that once they acknowledge truth, then they can recover themselves. But it's acknowledging truth. What was the truth? We belong to God, not Pharaoh. What was the truth? We belong to the Lord. I am do not have anything that I owe to the spirit of a lost world. I owe the gospel to my fellow humans even as God was gracious to send it to me. But I owe the devil nothing. I owe the sinful life nothing. I owe the lust of the flesh nothing. I owe the... Principalities and powers of this world, nothing. I owe my allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of you in this room. If someone were to come spewing socialist philosophy to you, some of you, some of you might buy it because you're very, very affected in that way. Most of you in this room, someone starts talking to you about socialist ideology and how things ought to be and, and start talking. There's a lot of you in here would say, no, I'm an American. Well, we just have to let the government... No, I'm an American. I still remember the shock and horror I saw in a man's face. My wife, on 25th anniversary, we went up to Canada to the... Uh, should the uh, what's the big water dropping over the ledge up there called Niagara Falls? That's it. I knew there was more <laughs> big whatever, but Niagara Falls. That's it. And we were on the Canadian side. And there was a fella down at the bottom of the nice hotel where we were staying, and uh, we were talking about a few things. He was uh, taking care of people coming in and out. He had a little bit of law, and we were talking, and he said something about government, and he's, he's Canadian. And so his, his thinking about government's different than, than mine was. We're similar age, and uh, he said, yes, he said, they're going to I don't know, in that area there somewhere he says, government's going to start finding people for smoking in their cars if there is a minor in the car with it." I didn't think. That wouldn't change anything, but I, I mean, it was just such a reflex action. I said, it's not the government's stinking business what they're doing in their car. He literally stepped back from me like... <gasps> I looked at him grin, and I said, I forgot. I'm American. You're Canadian. We think differently. We most certainly do. <laughs> Happy Maple Leafs, dude. That's... no. Why? My identity isn't with that stuff. Sam Wilson, when he came back from Moscow, he said, you know how in America it's often taught people tell young people you can achieve or you can go forward or, you know, uh, responsible families will say, hey, you can make something out of yourself, put forth the effort, you can excel in different areas. I said, yeah. He said, in Russia, you ever see on the pictures, things drab and how the people walk? He says, that's very real. Because they knew we were Americans as soon as they saw it, even though we were wearing the same clothes they were. And you couldn't tell, they didn't stand out as different people, different race of some type. He said, he, he said, I couldn't figure out how they knew they were Americans. And finally, one of the Russian friends there said, It's because when you walk, you keep your head up and you look at people. Because we don't do that. He said, The saying there is the tallest wheat gets cut down first. So instead of teaching young people, hey, you can do something with your life, you can excel, you can go forward, they're being taught, don't. Excel. That's exactly what's coming into our country. Huge. That's exactly what the, what, the, what the left-wing groups want in our country. It's exactly what they're doing. And don't stick out. Why? you get cut down. Use acknowledged truth to admit that it is your responsibility to do something with yourself. You take that first step. You've taken a big step towards getting out of the snares. Because ultimately, you're going to have to deliver yourself out of the snare of the devil in context with the passage I'm teaching here. Look what it says. Don't take me out of context. In context, verse 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. They keep, they keep putting themselves back in slavery. If God, fair will give them repentance to the acknowledging the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The fact is that as long as we identify as slaves, we're going to be resistant to deliverance. Remember what the Israelites said over and over to Moses. Not just at that point, but it kept coming over and over again. Why hast thou brought us out? Why did you bring us out? Would to God we were back in Egypt. Would to God we were back in Egypt. Why did you bring us out? And the whole reason that God sent, I say the whole reason, the, the thing that happened when God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites was there was such a groaning burden of their hard bondage that it was heard in heaven. And God said, These people are under a terrible burden. They get down there and the deliverer comes and they're like, No, what are you doing? We've got it good here. You're slaves. Oh, we got it good here. You're slaves. Well, the, the Egyptians take care of us, government takes care of us. I don't have to worry about taking care of nothing. Me and my kids are paid for. We're happy here. Did you see how fast Pharaoh turned that off? Oh, guess what? You got no bricks, or no straw for your bricks. Whippings coming, beating coming. What happened with that? <laughs> they, they they have the authority to turn it on. They have the power to turn it off. God's people, don't be satisfied to be a slave to your own flesh, to peer pressure, and that's not just for kids. Adults give into to it just as much. Feel it just as much. Don't give in to being a slave. Acknowledge truth. Take responsibility for your actions. And see what God can actually do with your life. Father, thank You for Your words.